Welcome to Terminal Talk, our podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And we have with us today Mike Sperling, who is the preeminent mm-hmm. ooh, analog circuit guy. Yeah, I like it. I uh, I got to be honest, guys. I was I was a little nervous coming on the podcast today, so uh, I I just ate a curio to calm me down. But uh, don't worry, it was just a little bit. Get out. Ah, get out. <laughs> There's no space for puns here. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of bits, we're not going to be speaking of bits because we're actually going to be talking about analog. And analog circuits basically mean anything that's not a zero or a one, right? So in the digital world, you have things that are on or off. Uh, with analog, it's basically everything that's in between that. Now, where in a mainframe would there be analog circuits? Right. So we're definitely not the flashy part, right? If the mainframe is like this nice house that we've built and like all this, you know, you're selling that house and it's going to be like, look at all these kick-ins and the bathroom is beautiful and look at this tile. The analog's more like a fuse box. It's kind of like off to the side. It's this weird box. No one's going to buy the house because of, you know, how beautiful the fuse box is, but... You know, it does a lot of cool stuff inside. It's got yeah, a lot I of... I didn't hear Ross talk much about the analog <laughs> circuit. Yeah, I know. It's not one of the nice points that they like to put on the press yeah. releases. Um, <laughs> no, so th- places where it's at. So, for example, um, you know, like any computer, it likes to know what temperature it is. Hmm. Well, you're not going to do that with, like, an AND gate or, an, you know, some kind of logic device. You, you need some kind of analog circuit. And not only do you need to know, but, you know, these chips, they're so hot. They're different temperatures at different parts of the chip. So it's not like you can come in from the outside and just kind of measure the temperature outside. You need something on the chip itself that measures the temperature. Uh, that's one kind of place that you can have an analog circuit. Uh, another place, uh, for example, is what's called a phase lock loop. And this is a pretty cool Ooh. thing. I know. It sounds like a really cool... Yeah, it cool, sounds awesome. Yeah. It's really just the clock. And I, I know I have a friend of mine who always says, like, my entire job can be written in VHDL, like, you know, uh, computer code as clock equals not clock. That's like my entire job. <laughs> and that's because, right, what a clock is, it's, it's going up and down at, you know, 5 billion times a second. So the problem is, you know, if you think about the speed of light... You're, which, which you do a lot. Which you do a lot, <laughs> right. You're walking around the street and like, oh, look at those photons going by. Yeah, and yeah. that's why I almost get hit by cars all the time. <laughs> so in just, you know, a nanosecond, which is a billionth of a second, that's, that photon's traveling about a foot. Well, we're going five times faster than that in a Z. So you're, th- you're talking about maybe two inches, and that's a photon. That's like a perfect thing traveling through, you know, a vacuum. This is, you know, through circuits. You're, not, you're, not, you're going really, really short distances, and you've got to do stuff. So it's not like you can send this signal in from outside the chip. You have to send in basically a slower signal, something around, you know, maybe 100 megahertz, 100 million times a second. And then on chip, you build this thing that, you know... What's called multiplies it up. It does a phase lock loop. I don't know if you are interested in the the guts of that, but it is fascinating. uh, It might not look like it or sound like it, but I I am very interested. Why don't you tell us all about that? Excellent. (laughs) So basically, you have I think I saw them play at BSP in Kingston last week. Phase lock loops. (laughs) Phase lock loops. Yeah. Yeah. They opened up for VHDL. It was great. So what you have, uh, the nice, the easiest way to do it is you want to generate your own oscillator on chip. An oscillator, right, is just something that's going to go back and forth. If you think about it, you put three inverters together, right, one, two, three. You connect input to output of each one and just in a loop. So first inverter connects second inverter, second inverter, third, third loops back to the first. Well, let's pretend like there's a zero on the input of one of them. If you work it out, and if your listeners obviously are waiting there with a pen and pencil ready to do they're, your... They're drawing this out on oh, their car yeah, window right now. Of course. <laughs> they, they love... Except if they're in the car, 
then they're thinking about photons. Yes, of yeah, course. So. Yeah. Well, that's just in the background, right? Okay. Yeah. Lots to think about today. <laughs> <laughs> so if you try to put a zero or any, you know, you try to set it to any state, what happens is that zero, you work out the numbers and you come around and it's like, wait, that zero is not a zero, it's a one. So you put a one there and then you go around like, wait a minute, that, that's not a one, that's a zero. So what happens is it's basically, it's oscillating. It's going back and forth right. between these two zero, one states. And that's good. It's a clock. But it's running at some frequency. Yeah. Who knows, right? If your transistors are faster, it's running much faster. Transistors are running much slower. So you can't rely on that, you know, on the chip. So what we do is we send in this really slow clock. We can do what's called a divider, a clock divider, where we take that uh, frequency and we divide it down. That's like the easiest circuit. It's literally like a latch and an inverter, and you've got a divider. So you can always divide down. So I can divide down by also really easily divide down by powers of two. If you divide something down by, let's say, 64, mm -hmm. you bring in 100 megahertz, you take this oscillator, you divide it down by 64, and you basically just have this circuit that says, okay, is that divided down signal faster or slower? And as long as you have this like crank into that oscillator so you can move the frequency around, you know, some kind of like tuning bit that you can really say, okay, go a little faster, go a little slower, you can get it so that that thing is running exactly at 6.4 gigahertz, right? Because it's 64 times the internal clock. So by just putting in this simple 100 megahertz, not so bad, you know, photons are nice and happy. Uh, you can now operate this chip at Z, I and mean, we have to run, right? We're, we're the fastest computer basically on Earth. Yep. So this is how we run it at that kind of speed. So it's really cool stuff. Um, and the reason analog gets in there, right, the whole reason I'm here, um, is called that oscillator. In order to get actually at something in there, we use what's called a voltage-controlled oscillator. Right. So I'll probably use this thing called VCO, and you'll hear that VCO, voltage-controlled oscillator. And that just means if I move the voltage, and remember, this is not zero and one digital, this is analog, so I can move it to like 0 0.25, 0 0.37, whatever, and depending on what that voltage is, that's going to be the speed of my oscillator. So that's how I'm going to control it, using that analog voltage. So you can also do things, what we have on Z is actually we have two kinds. We actually have a digital PLL, which tries to do things... You know, it still has that same analog loop, but it does. The oscillator itself is actually composed of digital parts. Um, there's all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. And then the oscillator itself, we can also, instead of inverters, you can use these things called capacitors and inductors, which will naturally resonate at some frequency. But you can, like, change the capacitor a little bit value. And that will also, you know, resonate the same way as the inverters will. But it's a little cleaner that way. So does does all this come in before or after, like, the the, the hardware, like, for the chips has been established the clock itself is coming in right as it but this is all designed before you know in the hardware this is all like basically it's there right okay you when you start up that chip the first you know the first step you do is let's turn on that pll because we need to start running you know you can send in that clock and you can run some things at that slower frequency but in order to run anything at speed you need the pll running immediately so there's a little bit of firmware, but it's, it's, it is mostly in the hardware, and it's mostly serving as the black box, kind of like the fuse box from before, where it's just kind of on the side. Yeah. You need it, right? It's providing, it's, it's sending electricity, it's doing all that stuff, but you know, all you see is like a nice little outlet that you can plug in. And if, if I didn't, like, let's say I decide just to cheap out and, and hire somebody who was not the uh, 
analog circuitry guru that you are. <laughs> of course, yes. And uh, we said, oh, we're, we're just going to, you know, the top of the mountain. We're, we're, we're just going to implement whatever. And you had like a, a bad, you know, what would be the signs of like a bad clock? That's awesome. So, yeah. So, in, so the reason we have clocks, right? And I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think in your audience, you probably have a lot of like computer science people that maybe don't know about clocking. People I, who need trouble getting to sleep, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not thinking about photons, right? It's yeah. just, yeah. So... What's happening is, what happens is, you know, in a certain clock time, in that five, you know, in that, um, you know, the billionth of a second or, you know, five billion, you know, whatever it is, the, the, the one-fifth of a billionth of a second, we have to do something. We have to start in a latch, which is just a place to hold the data. We have to do something on it, you know, add, subtract, or go through some logic gates, and then we have to get stored again, all within that, you know, those, those five, that fifth of a billionth of a second. So... You know, we design our, this is called synchronous uh, computer chip, right? You could do asynchronous where everything kind of flows and you don't really have control and you can... Sort of like this show. Mm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so with synchronous, you know, every, compu- every modern processor does this. It's a synchronous process. Clocking is everywhere. Everything runs on this clock. Everyone starts at the same time. Everyone finishes at the same time. So that means everyone has to finish whatever they were doing at that time, right? It's kind of like in class, like, you know, just... Get it done. Okay, clock, you know, the bell rings, you're out of there. <laughs> if that bell all of a sudden rang, you know, 20 minutes into a class, right, and you haven't covered the material yet, oh, you're out of luck, right? So you have to, so what we do is we do a lot of um, work in trying to clean that clock up as much as possible. So we give those things. The more you can pack into that one cycle, because there's a little bit of overhead of storing that data, you know, catching the data, holding it, there's overhead there. So you don't want to just, you have that overhead too much, and you'll see, especially in like pipeline processors, like you know, in ev- any processor really, uh, you want to minimize that overhead. So that's what's going to happen. Is it's going to get messy? <laughs> yeah, like the show. Yes. So, um, you've, so you talked a little bit about you've got this whole Schrodinger's clock thing, which is cool. And uh, whose clock? <laughs> Schrodinger's. Okay. Clock. Sorry. And uh, you've got uh, this thermal thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that seems kind of completely hidden. There's nothing that you touch from the outside world, right? It's very rare. So some of the things like IOs, like certainly, you know, you'll see that in like our speed specs, right? How fast can we run an IO link between two chips? Um, the receiver on that, the transmitter on that is, you know, an analog circuit. Um, you probably should have another podcast with some of the IO guys on that. It's very fascinating stuff. But there is some analog in there. Um, other things we do, though, but there's not really anything that we really, you know, we're, it's nice. You know, we're kind of like in the background. We make sure things are working. We're, you know, infrastructure, right? It's, it's making sure that we can deliver as much possible speed that everything else is running correctly. And it's just a great place to be. I mean, another thing that we do is, uh, for example, in our latest Z, we have a lot of – one of the reasons we can do so much is because of the memory, I don't know if you guys have had on any, any memory guys here. Or? Yeah. I think you had Pat Meany, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Pat mm-hmm. talked a little bit about this. But in terms of the types of memory that you use and how much, and I'm talking about the memory, not just, he talked mostly about the memory that's off the processor. Right. But, you know, the best, not the best memory, but the fastest memory is the one right next to the core, right? It's in the core. You want, you're at, it's at cycle time, so, but you can't have too much of it. Now, on Z, we have, what we have is we have this great, you know, our level one cache, our level two caches. We use a mix of what's called SRAM and DRAM, static RAM and dynamic RAM, okay? And, yeah, <laughs> if you guys, um, which actually, you know, reminds me, you know what sea creature can hold the most memory? Array. 
Oh. I get oh. nervous every oh. time he looks down at that. <laughs> so anyway, coming back to memory. So staticram is kind of like the industry standard. You have six transistors. They hold the data. You can, once you put that data in, it's locked in there. It's not moving. It's got a nice two inverters kind of feeding back on itself. You're good. Six transistors, though. It's not big, but, you know, it's still, let, can we do it with fewer? Because we want to pack as much memory as possible. That's where DRAM comes in. And DRAM is basically uses one transistor and a big capacitor. And a capacitor is just something that holds the data. So you put the data in. The transistor is just acting as a switch. So you want to put the data in, switch opens, put the data in, then switch closes. And then the capacitor hopefully holds that data. And they actually do this really cool thing where they drill down. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, they basically drill these trenches into the chip um, that act as the capacitor. It's, it's very fascinating stuff. So, um, <laughs> but that DRAM is so much denser, right? It's one transistor and then a big trench. And a trench doesn't take up any surface area because you're drilling down, right? So it's really fast. The problem is that that data goes away, right? If you just store it someplace, it's not really being held. It's not being locked back. There's no active, anything actively holding it. So every so often you have to go back and you have to refresh it. And you have to say, oh, yeah, what were you again? Oh, you were a one? Okay, well, I'm going to make you a strong one again. Oh, you were a zero? Okay, uh, I'm going to make you a strong zero again. So you have to keep doing that every, you know, whatever it, whatever like it is, the cycle plates. time. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So there's some analog circuits there because in order to – in order because it's one transistor – you have to, in order to pass it in there, you have to use a very high voltage to pass it in. And so we use what's called a charge pump to do that. And that's another analog circuit. And again, I, you know, it's not something the customer sees. Right. It's something that is, you know, is in the analog circuit. And the same thing when we turn it off, instead of just turning it off at zero, because zero would kind of turn off the path, we say, you know what, go past zero. Let's go to negative, you know, point, <laughs> point something voltages. <laughs> and so flip it over to the other side, though? It's only one transistor. So because it's just an NFET, a uh, you know n-type transistor. If you just bring the gate all the way past below ground, as long as it can handle the voltage, it just really just turns it off more. It just acts <laughs> as a better switch. Okay. So yeah, it, it it's 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 ha- it's very happy. So there's much less what's called leakage out of that uh, trench that it can get out. Turns it off more. It yeah. Turns it off more. That's right. We're using the Don't big even. words today. All right. <laughs> Does this tie into the uh, the retro encabulator at all? Oh, man, that flew right over my head. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> Just make sure you Google it later. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of really cool... I mean, it's just, you know, it's just really cool stuff. You right. know, it's like that. We do things like voltage regulation where um, in that phase lock loop, you know, you want that oscillator. If you have noise in the, cer- in the system, mm-hmm. in the, then, and that noise is just coming on the power supply, it's, it's, it could cause that oscillation to move around a little bit. Like I said, you know, it, it causes that uh, cycle to get smaller, faster... So, and that's well, got to manifest itself in really weird ways. Like, yes. it's, it's not like you're going to get a light coming up and say you have ba- bad power, which is causing your oscillator to go out of sync. <laughs> exactly right. Because yeah. this kind of stuff, this noise can happen within a cycle, right? And there's right. no, there's nothing that's going to see that, right? Um, but we have some serious honking power supplies on that on that system. We do, except that even those, like by the time they get through to the circuit, now to a digital circuit, it doesn't really care about noise, like. It's still the one. A one is still a one, Be, right? Wait, but I, but I spent five hundred dollars on this monster cable. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember those days. <laughs> so, exactly, right? If it's an HDMI cable, right, right. a digital cable, 
It's still sending digital bits. But the Best Buy one has better colors. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it go faster. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you do this, this stripe on your car. It makes oh, it go yeah, faster. Exactly. Yeah, Five exactly. So that noise, you know, it's not a lot, but you know, for an oscillator, it could be a, it could be a lot, right? We want to make sure to run as we want to run as fast as possible. So we do this thing called a voltage regulator, where we kind of it just, we take in that voltage and we basically clean it up a little bit. So we drop it down a little bit, but in the process of dropping it down, we have another control loop, cleans it up a little bit, makes it a little nicer, and the so, circuit runs So better. as you do this, doesn't that generate heat? It's it's if you look at the power of those of those components compared to like a power of just the switching because we're we're running so fast, the power of these things are so small that it's really just you don't even see it in the in the total calculation. I mean, it's in there, but it 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 does require a little bit of additional power overhead. But what you save in being able to run the entire chip because not only can you run it faster, but if you want, you can also run at the same frequency but at a lower voltage. Right, okay. because th- as as voltage comes down, ch- things slow down, mm-hmm. um, and if you're able to really make sure that clock is the same exact thing every single time, you can actually lower the voltage a little bit, and you can deal with that noise. So you can save much more power that way, as opposed to the slight overhead in this one circuit to regulate. So, and you do that over and over again for each of those circuits, then, right? Yeah, and and it depends. You know, it depends um, on. S- for example, on our Z series, you know, we really would only need if we're running everything at the same clock frequency. I mean, you only need to generate that clock once and then distribute it everywhere, right? So, this is so sorry. you said you know you only generate that clock once. So in in a big honking mainframe, there's yeah. one clock. There's one clock for basically the cores. Okay. Right? So, but there we have all these other parts. We have IOs, you know, our IOs that send the signals, and those are running at a much faster frequency, or those are running at some standard that you know. Um, isn't changing, right? That clock is running at uh, 16 gigahertz all the time, yep. no matter what. You know, on Z, we can sometimes run, you know, run a little faster, you know, depending. We can kind of tweak it around. But that I.O., it runs that speed all the time. So that clock is a different phase lock loop than you have than the basic one. And also, its requirements are different because it has to be a lot cleaner. The I.O. clock has to be a lot cleaner than the one that goes sort of off to the whole Okay, itself. so all the I.O. cards, they have their own... Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We okay. don't. So this clock usually now you could do things, and in, in, in the past you can also do clocking by sending the reference clock to, to two different chips. You can actually synchronize those chips. That's what's actually nice about a phase lock loop. Uh, there's also something called a frequency lock loop. Really, I'm mostly talking about frequency locking, where the frequency is the same, and you don't really care about the phase of the actual signal. Uh-huh. If you want to send a, a, a signal from one, you know, one chip to a different chip. You can send them the same 100 megahertz clock, and you can actually phase lock those oscillators to actually, you know, do that as well. But um, that's just more of a we could that's you you can do that. That's yeah. the, that's you know go to your uh, intro to electric intro to uh, PLL class. And I just know that if, if you're you. setting up your your home uh, theater speakers and they're uh, yes. out of phase, it sounds really weird. Yes, <laughs> yes, you don't want to do that. If you're expecting it to get here at this time and it doesn't show up, yeah, you you can hear it. Yes, yes, for sure. So you, you obviously done a, a lot of work for for Z14. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Without giving away anything, you know, any of our secret sauce or anything like that, what has been like a, a, a big uh, step forward in, in your area in the last however long you've been here? Um, I think something really big is what's called our critical path monitor. And what that is and um, is a way to 
really see the noise and react to that noise. Because, you know, we, we kind of said, okay, the chip has to deal with some noise. Digital circuits don't care. But if you're running as fast as you can, you know, you don't want the noise to be too much, right? If the noise becomes too much, then you lose that cycle time. The, the data doesn't get there in time. So what we can put in is what's called a critical path. And we basically, we model the critical path of, remember I said the data goes from one place to another. We figure out what path is the worst. We say, okay, this path is really the one that's limiting the entire chip. And we kind of build a model of that on the side, and we look at the speed that the clock every every cycle. We look at that, wow. you know, is it going through at, at that speed? Is it making? Is it making it? And when we see, oh, it's not making it. Now that's either because the voltage, something noisy, came in. Maybe we are operating at a different temperature now, and so we can't make that cycle. So we'll actually send in that cycle. We'll tell the the, the phase lock loop, uh, uh oh. Looks like there's going to be some noise coming in, and it actually will slow the clock down temporarily until that noise passes. So that way we can again run a little bit faster. And that's something that's really new is this kind of like adaptive clocking wow. in the industry. So so noise like if somebody you know fires up a buzz saw <laughs> uh, plugged into the raised floor <laughs> right. panel. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's it's usually noise that's coming from either even just you know the chip itself can generate its own noise if you have. A workload that comes in, it's a little bit different than it was before. That's a slightly different power consumption. And when power changes, uh, you have basically what's called the inductance between the power supply and the chip itself or the regulator in the chip itself. So there's a little bit of a lag there. And so that causes that noise. When the power increases suddenly, the current kind of wants to stay the same. An inductor is basically just something that says, I want this current to just remain the same and just keep going. So, you know... If you all of a sudden change the current, the inductor is like, nah, I'm going to keep the current the same. And so what happens is that current keeps piling in, and you can think of it almost like a swimming pool where like someone's like, all right, turn off the garden hose, and the guy's like, you know, rocking out still with his headphones <laughs> on. You know, it's going to take him a while before he figures out, like, you know, waving, like, stop, stop. So, you know, the, kind of the water level keeps rising uh-huh. in that sense. So. Wow. That's a good visual. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned that, that heat can cause this, too. So our... Uh, like what what happens to your calculations everything as you know heat starts building up yep so nice the nice thing is i mean you know our circuits are so fast that the heat time constants are they look like man they look like they're not even happening right right these are happening in like fractions of a second but like you know to a billionth of a second it's like Yawn, you know. Yeah, that, it's it's that, a half hour that, to a tree that photon <laughs> that photon's in chicago right <laughs> so yeah, so in terms of heat, it's really more of just a constantly adapting. And we don't actually run, like, let's say, per se, code or anything like that. It's really just the transistors themselves constantly looking. What we're doing, you know, analog is really about, you know, we, we talk about transistors as switches, zero, one, on or off. Really, the transistor is taking, is like almost like an amplifier. It's taking small signals, and it can amplify them. And so we're using that, um, per, you know, those characteristics of the transistor instead of digital where we just turn it all the way on and all the way off to really, you know, amplify at the max, you know, turn up to 11. <laughs> Here, you know, analog is like, oh, maybe 1.5, you know, two, you know, you really have uh, a nice fine-grained... And, and talking about, you know, turning things up to 11, if you trace the lineage back, was some of this done in tubes earlier? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> this, this, they, uh, everyone's always surprised when I say I'm an analog designer on... You know, yeah, what do you mean, guitar amps? <laughs> yeah, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly right. <laughs> and, you know, as, as we, you know, in the 90s, we went from vacuum tubes to, um, you know, once we started putting things on the chips, there were things called bipolar transistors. Uh, those became very inefficient because they use a lot of power compared to what's called CMOS, um, which is a uh, 
um, you know, it's something that doesn't burn any, any what's called current. And it doesn't burn any power just sitting there because the gate of it, which is the thing that controls the switch, it do, it, it's kind of separated. You don't have to put current in in order to generate any kind of uh, current through the transistor. So, huh. so what does CMOS stand for? Complementary metal oxide so man, you're something. You're ki- stuff. something stuff. stuff. And you're, <laughs> I'm gonna, Frank. I'm substrate. gonna hear this so bad when the people, you know, I mean, the substrate. Uh, <laughs> but this is important because it, people, you know, have heard us talk about bipolar and CMOS for yes, a long time. Yes, and and having somebody come in and say, well, but there is this is what the difference really is, right? Yeah. And I can and why it's so much cheaper. And I can talk through that. So complementary. The, the reason yeah. it's complementary is because you have what's called an N-type and a P-type, and they're complementary because they act almost opposite from each other. So like one Jeff of them, and Frank. exactly. Yeah, you guys could be. Yeah, complementary. Yeah, I, <laughs> we'll go with it. He's, ne- he's never been complementary. <laughs> so the CMOS, the complementary part, is one of them switches it to zero, and the other will switch it to one, and those are kind of complementary signals. The MOS part, the metal oxide and the semi and the semiconductor. Right, the metal is the gate. It used to be metal. Sometimes now it's just who knows what kind of. All kinds of interesting and you know chemi- uh, materials in there. The oxide, which separates the metal, the gate, and then the semiconductor on the bottom. And if it's silicon or some other word, I'm I'm really I can't bl- I cannot believe I'm blanking on this. So. Contact at terminaltalk.net. Yes. <laughs> Man, we're gonna get a paragraph from Rich. I can oh. see it now. <laughs> Man. But yes, it, it frankly says because you have that oxide, you know, you have that block that doesn't allow any current to have to go through. And that's really, you know, what allowed us to not only scale things down, but use less power. And that was the big switch sort of in the early 90s. And since then, we've really gone forward with CMOS. And that, that was a big deal at the time when it, yeah. when it happened. And there was a whole lot of discussion about it. And as a, you know, primarily a software guy, it, it was always, for me, kind of this magic that happened somewhere else. I know that it was a big deal and there were a lot of things <laughs> happening, but it still ran just programs. So it. It was kind of hard for me to get excited about it, hmm. except for the fact that it was cheaper. And suddenly my data center um, could be built much more cheaply because I didn't have to water cool everything at the time. And I know now we've kind of gone back to water cooling. But for us, the data center became a much cheaper thing to run. And that was a really big deal. Hmm. So now I understand why. Thanks. There yeah. you go. And yeah, and as as we run, you know, as we go further and further, right, the the classic, the Moore's law, right, and trying to make things smaller and smaller, and bumping into that pesky physics, you know. <laughs> yeah, those darned electrons oh, jumping. Man, <laughs> it's like herding cats. Yeah, but there's a lot of you know, there's still a lot of innovation that we can we can put into this space, and uh, you know, we that's what we've seen. You know, every back, I, you know, I started back in when the the numbers for the the transistor length were in the triple digits, right. And so we had like, you know, 120 nanometer or not 120, um, uh, 120 nanometer thick, you know, or length, length gates. But now, you know, we're down to, you know, 14 sevens, the next node, you know, the industry <laughs> wants to go to five, you know. So it's just those those were unfathomable numbers back then. We thought we were going to be broken at 90. Right. Mm-hmm. We thought 90. Oh, man, how are we going to get there? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's through just innovation and things like that. We can. I'm very so confident. One of my questions was going to be, so it sounds like the stuff that you're talking about has been all figured out. I mean, why do you still have a job? <laughs> right? <laughs> That's true. Exactly. Well, it's things like the critical path, um, things like voltage regulation. These new nodes, when you 
put in these regulators or you put in these phase lock loops, you know, these be- these transistors are behaving much differently than they have before. And so we have to worry, whereas before we just had to worry about these first order effects, we could kind of put things down. Now we have these second and third order effects that really are showing up in our data. This leakage is coming up. And so, um, and our specs are not getting, they're not standing still. They're also getting better. So it's really just as things have improved, we've also had to step up our game in that regard too. So, but as I like to say, you know, uh, <laughs> He's looking at the paper. Here, Here it comes. <laughs> well, it's just a lot of other companies are trying to compete with us, you know. But uh, you know, they might as well call us Will Riker because we're always going to be number one on enterprise. <laughs> wow, that was that was a long one. That was a, that was a really nerdy one. I saw that one coming up Fifth <laughs> Avenue in a cab. <laughs> so, uh, um, outside of the fact that you've always wanted to be a pun master. Um, did you uh, in high school? Did you say I really want to? I really want to work with voltage all the time. I mean, what, what got you to where you are today? Okay. Well, I actually didn't even know. Like honestly, it wasn't until really uh, junior year of college that I really knew. Like, oh, this is really something that's very interesting. Um, I don't know what it was about analog. It just like seemed like a really cool thing. It was one of the few jobs it seemed that. And this, this is what happened. I the same like I basically went straight into college and into work and. We were doing the same thing. Like a lot of people were kind of, you know, learning the basics and then you kind of get thrown into this new world. But, you know, it really the analog stuff that you learned in school really just, you know, translated directly into what uh, you did as, as a full-time job. And it just – something about it just seemed really interesting, the kind of continuous nature of things as opposed to discrete. So the, the fact that there's, you know, not just zero and one, but there's something that, there's something else there. It's right? always those shades of gray. It's always those shades of gray that like, oh, there's, you know – and also probably the sort of the behind the scenes aspect of it, you know, that's always kind of appealed to me, the the infrastructure needed to build something, you know, the un, all the, 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 you know, the thousands of people that go into something that you never see, right, but that are there and that are working. Yeah, there's not going to be any sort of cloud service or cognitive whatever right. that replaces the requirement of a clock signal on a CPU. <laughs> Nothing's going to make that, you know. Exactly. <laughs> But that's what's nice. And, 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 you know, and especially here at IBM, you know, the people you work with are just, you know, out of this world, you know, just great and knowledgeable and helpful. So it's just been it's been fantastic. And you've been doing this for what, five, six years? Uh, Fifteen. <laughs> Fifteen. Yeah, it's my 15th year of the anniversary this year. Awesome. So been around, been around the block. But uh, yeah, same, same place, same, same stuff. So and, and continuing for your foreseeable future, right? There's, Absolutely. There's there, new, different problems all the time. It's honestly just, it's just, it's just getting more and more. Yeah, there, it's not like I, I can finally be, okay, great, we know how to make this now. Every, <laughs> every turn of the crank is, is something new and something interesting. So, absolutely. Cool. He just wants to keep building up his capacity while lowering the resistance and <laughs> rectifying problems. <laughs> On that note, see, I got my own puns. That was good. <laughs> Forget out of here without you charging me for anything. No. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, comments about this can go to contact at Terminal Talk. Well, thank you very much. I mean, this has been awesome. Uh, we we started in an area that I had no idea where we're going to go, and we learned a little bit about uh, the CMOS and bipolar and and Schrodinger's clock. Um, So this has been really, really great. I want to thank you very much, uh, Michael, for spending time with us. Uh, I do want to mention to our listeners, though, that uh, 
share is coming up. It will be the 11th through the 16th of March. And we will be doing uh, a live episode. We're going to be doing a live episode there as well as recordings of a bunch of really cool people. And Frank, don't you have like 11 other sessions too? Yeah, I do have a bunch of sessions that I'm doing so, there. Uh, no, no shortage of opportunities to, uh, to harass Frank. Well, and to talk to us there, right? We're going yep. to be there. We're going to be recording. We publicly. have stickers. We have new stickers. New stickers. Even if you've gotten some of the stickers in the past, we have new ones. Yep. It'll be really cool. Um, I've got a couple sessions too. So, you know, come find me. <laughs> Definitely, I'll be. A, I'll, I'll have a little more free time than Frank. <laughs> and we do want to talk to you guys if if you have questions or comments or things you want us to add to the show, or maybe you want us to record you or one of your friends. Uh, let us know. Yeah, I'll do your answering machine messages too. Yeah, oh, there you go. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's go there. Well, man, Charlie, why don't you run us out? You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off. <laughs>